mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, as we continue through the testimony of this evangelist, John, the grace of God, if you'll remember with me, we are still in the upper room. We're in the upper room in the last night of Jesus's life. At the end of this chapter, we actually go out of the upper room and in through lower Jerusalem, out through the grape arbors where you'll see the uh, uh, testimony of the vine and the branches. Jesus uses that which is right there to teach with and to share with those that he loved. We're in his last night. Uh, we're going to go out, like I said, of the upper room, cross the brook Kadron, into the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to go to a mock trial. He's going to be crucified. For us, he's an innocent man. And as we left last week, there's a lot going on. If you'll remember, Jesus told them one of them would betray him. And they have no idea. They're all looking around. And listen to me. A lot of times we think we know our heart, but we don't fully know what our heart is going to do tomorrow. The way that we know for sure what our heart is going to do tomorrow is to be led by Christ, to be led by the Holy Spirit, to walk in the light, to allow Him to change us by surrendering today. Because make no mistake, whatever we sow, we will reap. And if we choose door one, which is the flesh, next week door one might be the only choice left because God confirms our heart. So we have to Choose today the salvation of the Lord. Choose today to be led by the Spirit of God. Choose today to look to Him for salvation and to let Him lead us out of this grave instead of trying to lead our own life thinking that it's going to end well when we have so many testimonies in the Bible that clearly show us that it doesn't end well. So Judas is going to be the one that goes out, and it's dark forever, 1330. He goes out, and it was night, and now it's dark. We know how it ends up. He has remorse, but it's godly. It's not godly sorrow. It's worldly sorrow, and he throws the money back, and with, instead of turning, he goes and hangs himself and commits suicide and falls headlong to his death. Uh, other things that are going on, uh, uh, Peter again, who I am grateful for Peter because Peter uh, reminds me of myself, always trying to do things in the flesh. 
Jesus says he's going, and he's referring to going to the grave. And he says, where I go, you can't go with me now. And Peter, once his mind gets stuck, just stuck. I'm going to do this, Lord. I'm going. Why can't I go? And while he's doing that, Jesus tells them something else that's troubling. A fresh commandment I give you. A new commandment. That you love one another according to the pattern of how I have loved you. Now listen, it's important that we don't miss this. We need the Holy Spirit to do this. Jesus is led by the Spirit of God. And he lays down his life completely as a servant of God. He is fulfilling the will of God and doing what he was anointed to do by God the Father. And those are the patterns that we're supposed to look at. Why am I here? Where am I going? What are we doing? What's my portion? What is the lane I'm running in? All of these things to be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the biggest thing that I think that really can be striking as we enter into chapter 14, which is only there to help us know where we're at, 14.1, where we'll be beginning today, is that as we closed, Peter in his flesh in 37 says, Lord, why can I not follow you? He's stuck there. Listen, are you following Jesus? Oh, you're not. You're following the world. You're following yourself. You're following your flesh. You're chasing your own desires. Listen, Peter says, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for your sake. And in the flesh, he really believes that. In his own strength, he really wants to do that. And therein lies the entire problem. That when we try to do it according to our own strength, it is religion. We must be led by the Spirit of God. Romans 8, 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. If we're doing by the flesh, we're still living in this world. We're still chasing what we want to chase. We're still doing things out of our own strength. And there's nothing good that dwells in the flesh. But Peter is stuck there. Yes, indeed, we must lay down our lives for his sake. But it must be done according to his plan, according to his will, according to his ways, according to his word, because of who he is for his glory, to proclaim his gospel, to be a witness in his grand courtroom. We were talking about this yesterday. Listen, if you use court language, and many people don't know court language, but what do you do when you call a witness? You call a witness. We're being called by Christ to come and be a witness in his grand courtroom. A witness to what? All that he's done, doing, and going to do. Well, I don't know what that is. Well, then read his word. Listen for his voice. Have a relationship with him. Be in the way with him. Allow the Holy Spirit to use you to testify of all that he's done, all that he's doing, and all that he's going to do. That's what a witness does. You should rehearse your testimony. Your testimony should be growing about Jesus as you walk with your husbandman. And so here's the most troubling thing that might happen in life. As his flesh thinks what he's doing, Jesus says to him, because listen, the word of God, the living word of God knows our hearts. Look what he says in 1338 and we'll move. Jesus answered Peter, answered him. We're all like Peter. Will you lay down your life for my sake? See, he's questioning him. That's a question mark. Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Listen to him. By morning you will deny me three times. 
he says to Peter. That's amazing. See, that new day is the day when we go to heaven. The morning. This is actually physically going to happen. All of us. Not betray as Judas just did. As they announced and Judas went out to betray him. But deny him. Have doubt. Faith will fail. Trouble will come. The world will attack. In the other text it says, But when you have returned to me, strengthen the brethren. Listen, everything you're going to, every denial you have, every falter in faith, every stumble is to make you stronger. But the Lord already knows our hearts and he wants us to see our hearts. He wants us to understand our hearts, that there's nothing good that dwells in us, that the only way we can walk this out is according to his will, according to his world or his word, according to his way, according to his power and his might and, 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 and wrapped up in his arms for his glory. If we try to do it ourselves apart from him, we can bear no fruit. We'll get to that in John 15. So it's very important that we understand all the storm, all the things going on, going, what is going on? Listen, he's the Messiah, but we know that he is God, very God in the flesh. And he just come from the throne room, humbled himself. And in the last night of his life, he washed the disciples' feet. That became lower than the lowest servant in the world, in the house. And he's going to go to the grave. He's already decided it in his heart. And his blood is going to pay for our sin, an atoning death. And then he's going to continue to wash us and cleanse us with the washing of the water through the word. If we will listen, if we will surrender, he'll continue to show us our heart. And when we see our heart, we confess it. We agree with him. We change our mind about our direction. We change our mind about our plans. We change our mind, metanoia. We repent about what we want to do. And we let him wash us and cleanse us. And then we help strengthen the brethren when we do. Because only by the fresh commandment, the new commandment, only by the, remember commandment is in tole, it's, the, it's an authoritative prescription. An authoritative prescription. It's a command. It's a precept. But it's a prescription to have life is to follow his pattern. He's the only way out. Remember he said in chapter 8, go and sin no more to the woman caught in adultery. Well, how am I supposed to do that? The next verse, 8, 12, I am the light of the world. You have to follow him. That's the only way to go and sin no more. Now, it's not instantaneous, although it's positional, but eventual. It's not that we're sinless today, but we're learning to sin less if we're following Jesus and walking in the light because he is in the light. And if we begin to listen to that word, to that command, to become doers and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves, then he opens our blind eyes to see more. Watch the growth. Watch the going. It happens in John. He opens blind eyes. And people begin to accuse and wondering and go, is that really the man that was born blind? And then they want to cast you out of other things. And then he says, I am the good shepherd. 
He's the only, he's, well, he's the door first and then the good shepherd that leads us out and into heaven. See, there's a growth process going on. Well, what is he leading me out of? The grave, Lazarus chapter 11. Leading us out of the grave. Come forth when you hear. He's calling us out of the grave. He's calling us into life and that more abundantly. He's calling us back into truth and to stop following the lie and living in death culture. And he wants us to help one another. Yet the devil lies to us and we act like, oh, I can't tell them. I can't do that. I can't be this. I can't do. No, we can't. Only by the power of the Spirit. Can we help unwrap the grave clothes? Only by our witness, only by our testimony, only by what we declare to others. We don't have anything in and of ourselves. All of us are in the same boat. None righteous, no, not one. In fact, there's absolutely no reason why God would come and die for us other than the fact that he loves us and he is love. But he calls us to repent. He calls us to turn. He calls us to come out of the darkness into his marvelous light. To come forth out of the grave. And then to have fellowship with him. Watch the growth. The next thing you see, chapter 12, we're having fellowship. There's Mary and Martha and Lazarus in Bethany. It's still the house of misery. Bethany's the house of misery. They're still in the world, but they're not of the world. They're having fellowship at a table with Jesus. And they're all resting. What happens then? Then we can have communion with him, which is what happened at the Last Supper, John chapter 13. More is being revealed he gets up, he takes off his garment, he wraps himself in flesh, he wraps himself in a towel, and he washes their feet. Well, why is he doing that, Greg? Because everybody was arguing about who was going to serve who and who was the greatest. And the greatest got up and washed feet. You know, I think about that in the world because we're always arguing about who's the goat in everything. Who's the goat? Goat means greatest of all times. And it's in anything because we're looking for somebody to be the greatest. But the actual creator of the heaven and earth came down and became the lamb so that he can separate the goats from the sheep, from the lambs. Listen to me. Are you looking for the greatest of all time or are you looking for the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Because the way up is down and the way down is up. You lift yourself up and you will be knocked down. But if you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, he will lift you up. So he's revealing the hearts in the room. He's revealing the hearts in his house. He's revealing those who say, oh, I know him. I know him. I know Jesus. It's all throughout our culture. And he's telling them about their own hearts. And if that doesn't trouble you, then there's an issue. You're not listening to what the Holy Spirit's saying to the church, which is the only command that we have really right now. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church, to the called out ones. Listen, pay close attention, because when he reveals your heart to you, it should trouble you. But as it troubles you, you should know what to do with the trouble. You should cast your care upon him. Because he cares for you. Well, how do we know? Because he died for us. 
He came down to take our sin. So that's what happens as we open up here in chapter 14 with all of those things on the table. They're having communion together. They did the last Passover meal. He's instituted communion after Judas went out so that they can have fellowship together and co-union in the Father's house. And 14.1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus talking, letters of red, if you have a red letter Bible. In my Father's house family, household, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray because that's as far as we're going to make it today. Father, thank you. Thank you for Thomas's question. Thank you for Jesus's answer. Thank you for the word of life. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, as our hearts are troubled, as things go on in life, we know where to cast our cares because you care for us. Lord, give us a desire to repent, to change our mind, to turn, to die to self and be led by your spirit. Show us our hearts clearly, Lord, and help us to repent. In Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look again. A lot of things going on in your life, in my life. There is trouble. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Notice it's a, the word let not here, uh, it's actually terrazzo and it's the same word for trouble. But there's a choice here. It's actually a qualified negation is what it's called. It's not a command. It's a choice that you can let not your heart be troubled. It's a choice that you can be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, can guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Listen to me. It's a choice that we can make not to be troubled when we believe in God. There's a lot of voices out here that want to trouble us. In fact, I was looking at these notes. Uh, it's Galatians 1.7. If you remember the church in the Galatian region, um, Paul writes to them later after being with them, planting the church there. And he gives a familiar introduction. But in one six, he says this. Listen, because it doesn't take but a moment. But he says he's marveling. I marvel. I'm amazed. I'm shocked, Paul might say, that you are turning away so soon from him, from Jesus, who called you 
in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. You're turning from the true gospel, the truth, to another gospel and some other good news, which is no gospel at all, which is not another. But there are some of some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Listen, listen. There's always going to be voices, the spirit of Antichrist, that are perverting the word of God and they trouble you and they want you to turn from the truth. They don't want you in the word, prayer, and fellowship. They don't want you doing your part in the body of Christ. They don't want you surrendering to Jesus. They want you to think that all you have to do is say a prayer and go about your life and do what you want. That's a different gospel. If we take up our cross and deny ourselves daily and follow after him, there's no way we can be living our own lives. And we're not doing it for salvation. We're doing it because of the salvation of God that has come. Teaching all men to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. And live soberly and righteously in this adulterous generation. Look at verse, or excuse me, Galatians 5.10. I think I'll start in a different verse. But Galatians 5. Seven, he says this, and he's saying this, listen, to the church in Galatia, it's examples for us, it's word for us, it's understanding for us, that if we're not dying to self and listening to the Holy Spirit and allowing God to keep washing our feet daily by getting into the word and by surrendering and confessing our sin, that it's easy for us to be led away. He says, you ran well. That's a past tense. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Listen, oh, you're supposed to obey the truth? No, I already said a prayer. I don't have to obey nothing. Listen to me. It's an authoritative commandment. We're not saved by obeying, but if we're saved, we're set free from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, so that we can stay in the race and keep running even though we fall short, but our heart's intent is not to fall short. It's to learn how to run well, to, do, do, to run better so that we can run to win. Think about that for a minute. In every, in every race that people run in sports and you lose, the coach is not going to say, well, that was a good try. You might as well try something else now. You're done running. You lost. No, no, no. They say this is practice, practicing righteousness. You're running. You're learning endurance. You're going to get better. You keep running. Notice this. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Listen, I have confidence, assurance in you, in the Lord, because of who the Lord is, that you will have no other mind. This is the mind that we should have, the mind of Christ. But he who troubles, that's what we're looking at, is those that are trying to trouble you, shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. Listen, they're going to be judged. Those that are running some other way are going to be judged. They're going to have to answer to the Lord of glory. But how are you running? What are you listening to? Whose voice are you searching for? What is the pattern of your life? He just gave us a pattern of how we should live. And then as we enter into this and we say it, we say, let not your heart be troubled. Well, what's the heart? It's the middle of you. 
What's the heart? It's the thing that we should guard because out of it flow all the issues of life. Proverbs 4.23. What are you doing with your heart? You have a choice to make. And he clearly tells us, let not your heart, your cardia, your thoughts, your feelings, your mind. See, that's where the attack at is your mind. Trouble. It means to stir or agitate, to royal water. It, it, it means to render anxious or to doubt. Listen, because see, that's where our faith ends up. I believe, but help my unbelief. We're supposed to trust God. We're supposed to have confidence in God. That's what we're going to see. You believe in God, believe also in me. See, because everybody wants you to believe in God. Think about it. The liars always want you to believe in God. Oh, I know there's atheists out there, but on their deathbed, they'll believe in God. They'll cry out to some God. They're serving some God. Whatever is their master passion is their God. And the nation of Israel, this is referring to you believe in God. It's referring to their national God, Jehovah, who has always promised that he would send Yeshua, a Messiah, a Savior. And all he's doing is saying, if you believe in God, believe in me. Because God has promised he would take care of you. He's promised he would send you a Savior, and I am he. He's claiming to be that God, very God. But don't let your heart be troubled. This is a choice you have to make. If God loves you, and he does, if God died for you, and he did, if you believe in him and you say you do, then he who called you is calling you out of the grave, and you can trust him. Are you with me? You can follow him. We're going to see in a minute. He is the way. Well, why can we trust him? Why can we follow him? Because he's already been in the grave. He knows what the grave is like. I'm way ahead of myself in my notes, but think about it. If you're lost and you want somebody to help you, do you want somebody that's never been there to say, well, I think that we might be able to go this way, but I don't know for sure because there's a couple forks in the road and I don't know which one's the straight one, but I know the narrow. And wait a minute, or do you want the guy that's already been there? He come from heaven. He's actually came clear from heaven. He didn't just come down to heaven and come to earth. He descended in the lower parts of the earth. He's been in the grave and he come out of it. He knows how to get there. Don't you want him as your guide? Because that's what we're going to get to at the end of chapter 14. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments and I'll send you another. The spirit of truth who will be with you and in you. And it's many is led by the Spirit of God. These are the children of God. Why? Because they're in the household of God. Because they're listening to God. And they know that they don't have to be troubled because God has already defeated the enemy. And there's nothing to do now except to stand in the victory and follow him out and onward and upward. Out of the grave. Listen to me. But what are we following? See, because that's where the trouble, if we're troubled, if we're freaking out, it's because we lack believing, lack faith, lack trusting, and we want to listen to some other voice and to be intimate with it. And it causes that same trouble. He's going to say it in chapter, if, he's going to say it in verse seven, if you had known me, we're not going to get to that till next week, but you need to know that that's the word gnoskos, that's the word of intimacy with your husbandman. 
That's the word that's in spiritual realm, that you're having social intercourse with God in, in, in a sexual way and bearing fruit, and you're coming to know Him, gnosgos. And when you know Him, you're not going to be troubled because He's King of kings and Lord of lords. And if He's for you, no one can be against you. And, and there's no enemy that can get to you. And that everything that goes on in your life now is allowed by God to train you and teach you and test you and try you by fire so that you will be found truthful and bring you out on the other side so you will receive a crown of glory. Yet we fight against him in his house and we say, you're not the boss of me. Really? You don't want the one that came out of the grave? And has died and yea rose again and gave his life for you to be the boss of you? Oh, I love Jesus. You don't want him to be boss of you? Oh, he died for me. Praise the Lord. But I got things to do. Really? See, he's trying to reveal to them everything that's going on. One's going to betray me. Peter, you're going to deny me. Listen to me. The Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit. And it is a judge of the thoughts and intents of our heart. I, I will follow you. I'll lay my life down for your sake. Oh, my goodness. No, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Now, you might imagine shock on his face. Or you might imagine if he's not listening well that he goes out of that room going, I don't even know what he's saying. I'm going to get me a sword. I'm going to cut somebody's ear off. We'll take care of this stuff. And he stays in his pride. But he stays following. Right? But then when he does that, what happens? I mean, because the other text tells us, when you return to me, strengthen the brethren. Peter doesn't listen very well. That reminds me of me. But the deal is, is that he's going to finish the work he started in us until the day of Christ Jesus. But you need to remain, abide, continue in his house. And you need to surrender and come to your senses. All of us do, like the prodigal son. And we need to understand that we don't have to be troubled by the liars, what we need to do is surrender to the truth. Grow in relationship in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ so we can partake of the divine nature. Be part of it. That's what Peter says later after his life is almost over. He learns that he grew to know and he's becoming part of the divine nature. That Jesus was putting himself in him because he put himself in him. So he says, you believe in God. Of course, the national Jehovah. Believe being the word pistio. Do you remember that word? It's a, it means to trust in. It means to commit your spiritual well-being into something. They were all looking for God to bring a Messiah. That was the whole nation. Everybody's looking for him. And he comes and the ruling authorities, the religious people, they look him in the face and say, no, he's got to die. But he picked from the back of the line and these that were not part of the religious community, they chose him as the Messiah. 
Then they got stirred up, not before the end of the week, and they said, crucify him, crucify him, because they listened to the voice of the world, the voice of the ruling authorities, the apostate people, and he wasn't doing what they wanted. They wanted their flesh fed. He wanted, they wanted their kingdom back. And he was giving them a spiritual kingdom. But they wanted the physical. They were more interested in the physical, which is the grave. See, there's nothing good that dwells in the flesh. We're going to see here in a minute, he's going to talk about rapture. He's going to talk about the graves opening. Why did the graves open? As evidence to the world that Jesus took his people home. The bones won't be there anymore the same way the bones are in Jesus' tomb. There'll be perfect evidence that they were given a new body. We talked about it Friday night when the corruptible puts on incorruption and gets a new dwelling place for the soul to live for eternity, a permanent place that will be with God forever. That's what he's talking about here too. But we have to listen. We have to have a heart to go and sin no more so that he can open our eyes, so that he can be our good shepherd and be the lead us to the door and then bring us out of the grave because the stone is rolled away. That's the place we're going, but we have to begin to sit at the table with him and let him wash our feet and stop being troubled by what they're saying out there of wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and plagues and all of these things that get us caught up in the flesh. Because our battle's not of flesh and blood. It's principalities and powers, a spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to stand. Well, having done all, what are we supposed to stand on? We're supposed to stand having girded our waist with truth. Well, what's truth? Truth is a person. It's Jesus the Christ. And the enemy's fighting with lies. He always has. And he gets you to follow his lies when you really just need to grow in your intimacy with knowledge grow in your intimacy with christ and learn to trust your husband look at it it's a picture of family when your children know to go to dad when your children know to go to the father when the children know where to go because you become little gods to them they should grow up knowing you're training them in the way that they're going but they grow up not trusting us when we don't teach them the word and so they don't look to us when they're 18 and they go buck wild and they run off because they don't trust us because we tell them lies like santa claus and easter bunny we tell them all kinds of lies and we don't live a life that's living for god so we're not training them training is being a pattern an example just like jesus just did where he died And we all fall short. But is that the place we stay? Well, I fall short. That's my excuse. I don't have to do anything now. No, a wise man gets back up. He falls seven times. He keeps falling, but he keeps turning his heart toward home. He keeps looking and saying, wait a minute. All these things are going on, but Jesus already told me that I do not have to be troubled. He's got this. He's already won this. He's already been in the grave. He can lead me out of the grave. I can sit down at a table and have fellowship with him. He's continuing to knock at my door and say, if anyone hears my voice, my word, and opens the door, I will come in and dine with them 
and they with me. They're supping together, building a love relationship. That's why it's, it's, it's so funny when you hear people say, well, we don't eat at the table. That's so old. Family sets and eats at the same table. And the family of God in a spiritual realm should be eating, putting on the mind of Christ, learning the word of God, doing the work of God for the glory of God. Listen to me. That's what a family does. They eat the spiritual word together. Why? Because there's a good father. What did the good father do? He sent his son to die. Well, what's that? He's an example for what we should be doing when the Holy Spirit comes into us when we believe. We should be following the example. Well, I don't have the ability. Of course not. But the Spirit is God Himself. He has all the ability. He has all the knowledge. He has everything we need to train us in the way we're supposed to go. He's a perfect teacher. What we have is a choice. Whether we're going to choose to be troubled over every little thing. Oh, there's some big things. My wife went to be with Jesus. That's a big thing. I can choose to be troubled. I can choose to go buck wild. I can choose to trust God that he already knew, that he knows, that he's got this under control, that he will still train me and lead me and get me across the finish line. And he'll use all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Yet we sit around and we go, yeah, but he said and she said and they did and he did. And we blame and we use everything like we're a victim when really we're overwhelmingly more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Really, we're being led out of the grave and that he's allowing us to follow him because he loves us. Because of who he is. But every little bitty thing destroys us because we're listening to the world and saying, well, if I don't have what the Joneses have, then I'm just somebody less. Really? You have Christ. Isn't that enough? You have life. Isn't that enough? No, I like living in the grave. I think I'll ignore God and stay in the darkness, stay in the grave because I like my sin. I like myself. I like Satan. That's what you're saying when you stay and you disobey. That's what we're saying when we do our own thing. That's what we're saying as they train us on the internet, as they train us with their movies, as they train us with every bit of entertainment of music and anything that's going on. It becomes a trainer of your heart. And that's where the trouble comes from. That's where the bewitching comes from. That's why he addressed the Galatian church and says, who hindered you? They're going to be judged for troubling you, but you're going to be judged and reap what you sow for allowing it because you didn't choose to let not your heart be troubled. You didn't choose to say, wait a minute, I believe in God. I can believe also in Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one that was sent to be the example, the pattern the Savior, to take my sins, the Lamb of God, not the goat. Although if you thought about it, isn't he the greatest? He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You can't get higher than that. But he's not a goat. He's a scapegoat. He's a scapegoat. He takes our sins because he humbled himself and became the Lamb of God. And yet we say, well, I believe, and then we don't follow I believe this is not to shame anybody. It's not to shame me. It's not to shame you. It's to help us understand that we're all riding in the same boat. It's a fellowship.
And the captain of the boat is also the anchor of the ship. He's the one that, that keeps you in place if you trust him, if you commit to him. Because when you believe in him, there's a constancy that goes with that. And you keep going. You're going to be led out. He's now going to reveal to us a future and a hope of what's going on. And then he's going to lead them out and say, you have to abide in the vine in order to bear fruit. And then he's going to say, I'm only telling you these things so you don't stumble. And then he's going to pray for us. It's amazing. Then he's going to go do exactly what he said he was going to do because he always does. And then after he raises from the dead, he's going to restore Peter back into fellowship and say, go strengthen the brothers. What's going to happen then, Greg? In the fifth gospel, the book of Acts, Peter gives the first sermon and 3,000 people get saved. Not because of Peter, but because of the Holy Spirit, because of Jesus, because he preaches the word of God and he quotes the word of God and he looks to the word of God, which never moves and cannot lie. But the enemy is only telling us lies. Well, how, how do you recognize them? You learn the truth. You allow the Spirit of God to lead you. You surrender and quit chasing everything that the world is chasing. We can't, the problem with the church is it looks just like the world. And we think if we look like the world, we'll win the world. Is that really true? How come Jesus just spoke and they began to follow him? They sent people to arrest him and they come back and they go, where is he? He says, nobody ever spoke like he does. Listen, it's in his word. And yet we listen to the enemy. We're caught in our own plans and our own devices. We have our own trouble. We agitate our own heart in our thoughts and our feelings and emotions. And we let the enemy bewitch us. First usage of that word heart is in Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, how do you get pure? You let God burn out the dross and wash and cleanse you as you keep putting your feet in his hand and he keeps showing you truth and you keep kicking out the lie by taking thoughts captive. I'm taking that captive. That's a lie. That's from the devil. That's not true. I don't have to be troubled about this because God bought me with his blood and now I'm his child and he takes good care of his children. His household is perfect. His household is pure. His household is pure and holy and righteous. He doesn't own anything that's not. Everything about God is perfect. We're being perfected because we're still down here. But when we're there, we're going to be perfect just like Him. That's pretty amazing stuff. We could teach on this verse all day long, but we won't. The point is, is that He is God. You believe in God, believe also in me. Put your same trust in him. He's going to get to it later. See, there's a God. There's a Jehovah. There's God. God in that is a spirit. And God in his infinite wisdom, what did he do? He came down as Elohim, a God in three persons. Well, what's that? It's so that we can relate. There's a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit who, who all three are one perfectly. They're one. They're the same God but they become a family. One of them has a plan and sends his son. His son dies for us. And when his son dies for us, what does he do, Greg? Then he follows the father's example and he sends back the Holy Spirit to help us. 
and then we follow the same pattern. We want to follow that pattern. We go out and allow the Holy Spirit to help us bring others into the family of God. How's that? We, we, we become witnesses. And we are the same family only when we believe in Jesus. I had somebody say that we're all, we're all made in God's image. No, that's a, that's, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Some people are following the father of lies. They're doing their own thing. If you're not actively following the spirit of God and allowing the father who has a plan, it's perfect, who sent his son to die for you and believing in that and trusting his spirit to lead you out of the grave, then you're still living for the devil. And we'll always reap what we sow. There's only one path. There's only one way that is truth. There's only one name by which men can be saved. The name of Jesus. There's only life in that name. And the enemy just wants to bewitch us. Get us off course. Trouble us. Make us feel like, oh, there's no use. I tried. It didn't work. That's the problem is you tried instead of surrendered changed your mind, and understood that God already did it for you. It's a done deal. Look, look what he says in verse 2. It's a done deal. You believe in God, believe also in me. And now he's going to tell us some more stuff about God's house, God's kingdom, God's people. In my father's family, in my father's household, listen, are many mansions Many dwelling places is what the word means, or many abiding places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Listen to me. Anything that's a lie, he will reveal to you. Did you hear that? If it were not so, I would have told you. If the enemy is lying to you, he will tell you. But you have to choose to listen and not be troubled by the lie. If it's not so, he's going to tell you if you're in the Word of God. If it's not so, he's going to tell you if you're being led by the Spirit of God. If it's not so, and you're his child, he will show you. Oh, you might follow it for a couple days, but eventually he's going to say, listen, my child, that's false, that's fake, that's not real. That's not me. He's promising that. And he says, there's many dwelling places. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you. That's personal. Isn't that amazing? Personal. You can take it as all of us, but, and if I go and prepare a place for you, what will you do, Jesus? I will come again and receive you to myself. Notice where we're going. To myself, to him. Why? That where I am, there you may be also. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life. Listen, listen, this is eternal life that you may gnosko me, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Listen, that's eternal life. You're not going to have eternal life just by walking into a church. You're not going to have eternal life by saying one prayer. You have to gnosko, come to know in intimacy and be betrothed and then, yes, married to the God of the universe who came and died for us to lead us out. That's true eternal life because at the end of our lives, guys and gals, we're going to be judged by what was our God, what we came to know, what we were having intimacy with. How do I know that? Because in the garden, Adam and Eve were judged for what they were being intimate with and they were listening to the voice of the devil and God put angels in front of the garden and led them out of the garden away from the tree of life. 
because they were being intimate with another voice and they were bearing fruit of death. They were staying in the grave, even though they had already been walking with God daily. And he says, lest they eat of the tree of life and remain this way for eternity. By his grace, he kicked them out of the garden. That's grace. But now he's allowing us to come back in by faith, by the blood of Jesus. It's by grace through faith. It's not of yourself. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Because we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. We should live in them. We need our feet washed in order to walk in them. That's Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 if you need reference of that. But Jesus now is telling them of the heavenly hope. Listen, they've got a lot of trouble going on. They've got a lot of things going on. They don't know who it is that's going to betray him. Remember, they didn't know. When Judas went out, they thought, well, maybe he's going to buy something. They really don't know because they don't fully know their own heart, just like you and me. Jesus knew exactly who was betraying him. He said to him, go what you do, do quickly. And he went out and it was night. And now he tells them, love one another. Now that the enemy is gone, he shares an intimate message of a fresh new prescription, of a pattern to follow. And when they want to go with him, Peter, especially the vocal one, he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. There's trouble going on in the house of God, but it doesn't have to stay there. It's because of our flesh in the house. And he tells them, you don't have to be troubled. Well, why not? Because God's a perfect provider. God knows what's going on. There is nobody that can, there's no wisdom or counsel against God. And if he called you, he will also do it. But you have to do it his way. Surrender, humbling, walking it out, and he will lift you up. Higher and higher until we get to heaven. And here, well done, good and faithful servant. Then we take off our crowns and we lay them at his feet because we know we didn't do it. We know it was all because of his great love. So he says to them, here's the hope. Listen, listen, if you're going to be in my father's house, my father's family, let's look at it. We always want to look forward to God's provision. Remember that? There's trouble coming. What was our memory verse last week? 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, comma, steadfast, immovable in your faith, steadfast, immovable in what you believe in and whom you believe in. You believe in God, believe also in me. Be steadfast in that, in your heart. And while I'm being steadfast, knowing that Jesus is coming back, he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. What are you abounding in? Are you abounding in the work of the Lord or abounding in the works of the flesh? Are you abounding in the deeds of the flesh? Abounding in what the government has told you to do? Are you abounding in the work of the Lord, which is the ministry of reconciliation of souls? Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, if I tell you the truth, that, that word labor... It's not just meaning what you're doing as work, but that word labor means trouble. Because as you labor in God's work, 
you're going to have the future hope of a blessing and a crown and rewards, but you're also going to have the same hope of trouble and somebody to attack you because the world hates Jesus. Listen to me. If the world hates Jesus and the church today is living it out according to Jesus, why does the world not hate us? Why are we not being attacked? Oh, wait a minute. Let's see the stealthness of the devil and the deception. The attack of everything that's going on that we see today is really upon the church. It's really upon God. Well, what are you talking about? Well, all you have to do is look at what they're talking about. Does God worry about the world and it being falling apart and there's too much population on it? Is God worried about that? No, he's got dwelling places in heaven. He's the one that provided a perfect planet with perfect, uh, perfect salvation. He knew what was going on. It is the one world order and the devil that's trying to convince us that we're overpopulated, that we need to do something. We need to kill some people. They're the ones that are freaking out, trying to rule things. God's got it all in the palm of his hands. Yet we're listening to their plan. We're following their plan. Well, what are they doing? They're attacking truth. Because truth is a person. We're supposed to be following truth and not listening to their attack because God knew they were going to do it. And he laughs at them in derision. He laughs at them. He knows that there's no wisdom against him. He knows what they're doing. In fact, he allows them to do that to test your heart to see if you're going to be troubled or follow him and believe in the heavenly hope that in his father's house are many mansions. Listen, what are they attacking? Marriage, family. They're attacking the truth of God. The problems are all caused by the truth of God, they would tell you. The problems are all, uh, all caused by absolute truth, and they would tell you there is no absolute truth. What is that? That's an attack on God. I shared Jesus with a guy the other day, and he goes, well, that's, that's what your truth is. That's not my truth. And I said, dude, we can both be wrong, but we both can't be right. Truth is absolute. Truth is dogmatic. Truth is real. Truth is a person. And we can both be following a lie, but we both can't be following the truth and going in opposite directions. Because truth is an absolute, but you see in the world today, the attack is on God because they will tell you everywhere there is no absolutes. And then they'll say, if we don't do something in 10 years, we're absolutely all going to die of climate change. Oh, there's no absolutes. Oh, there is on this side, but there's not on that side. Because the attack is on truth. Do you believe in God? Then you don't need to be troubled. What you need is more wisdom. What you need is to draw closer. What you need is more intimacy with God. What you need is to trust Him. And that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then the walking out of God, you grow in experience, which is the other word I do. As you grow, you learn to trust him as you go. So he says, in my father's house, and that word house uh, is really his family. Okay, it's his abode, it's his residence, it's his household it's his home, his family. I don't know. I, don't, I can't tell you that that means this earth or this planet. What I can tell you is, is he has a kingdom. And in his kingdom, there's a house. 
There's a lot of people that they, they have opinions of this. I don't have to know what it's going to be like there. I don't have to know what it is. What I want to do is know he's truth. And that if he says it, then my spirit is going to have a permanent dwelling place somewhere else. And that's what I believe that is. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. And he says, I wouldn't have told you if it wasn't so. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul talks about this. We've talked about this. We've spent time with this. And we know that God's a consuming fire. And one day he's going to burn out the dross completely from us at the Bema seat, which is what chapter 5 is about in 2 Corinthians. And those who are not his will go to the white throne and go into fire for eternity because they refused to listen to what he was doing and what he was saying. And they had their own hearts lifted up against him instead of letting the goads steer them into the right direction. He says right here in chapter 5, verse 1, For we know... Gnosko, through intimacy, that if our earthly house, our bodies, this tent, see, this is a temporary dwelling place. This tent is not supposed to last. It's a place where we're down here in this courtroom. We have a spirit in a body, not a body with a spirit, for a temporary time, like we're camping out. And if it's destroyed, we have a building from God. Listen. This is what he's talking about in John 14. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this earthly house, this tent, we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our heavenly house, our habitation, our home, the other residence, which is from heaven. Verse 3, qualifier, if indeed... Having been clothed, if indeed we put on Christ, we shall not be found naked. See, there are those that say, oh, I know him. But it's a head knowledge. It's not a heart knowledge. It's a head knowledge. It's not an intimacy. I've talked about this so many times. People say, I will, I will. And they go into a house and they have two different lives. They have two different bank accounts. They don't become one because they're, they're not having a contract with God. They just want to feed their own flesh and their own self. And they leave God out of it and they kick God out. So they're not being clothed or further clothed. Look what he said. They're going to be found naked. He's going to come and say, what are you doing in here? This is the wedding supper of the Lamb, and you don't have on a wedding garment. You didn't let the Holy Spirit sanctify and cleanse you and prepare you for the wedding supper of the Lamb, so you're not His. And then He's going to cast them out, and they're going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we can know that today instead of wait for then. Verse 4, for we who are in this tent groan. There's a groaning going on. Being burdened. There's a burden in our soul. Not because we want to be unclothed. I want to be naked. I don't want to know any more about Jesus. I don't want to be sanctified. Notice the heart's going the other way. But further clothed. See, when the Spirit is in us and we know Jesus in our heart and we're married to Him and we see His goodness, we see that He died, we see that He came down, we see that He died for us and He wants to wash our feet and make us like Him, we want to be further clothed like Him. 
We desire to be like him. We have a heart to come to him, be led by him, and be further clothed, further washed and cleansed. That mortality, death, our earthly bodies, our tent, may be swallowed up. How? By life. See, because we're dead and he's leading us out of the grave and it's being swallowed up with life. Because that's what he did. He swallowed up death. When he lived a perfect life and got up out of the grave. Now he knows how to lead you and me out of the grave where we were born at. Dead. Now he who has prepared us, listen, He's prepared us for this very thing is God. Well, how do you do it? He sent the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Elohim, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Listen, if you're listening to the Spirit and led by the Spirit, you're the children of God. You're clothed with God, and you're being further clothed, and you're going to have a desire to be further clothed. If you don't, you need to go back to the cross and say, Lord Jesus, why do I not have a desire to be in the Word, Prayer, and Fellowship? Why do I not have a desire to be further clothed? Why do I not understand this truth and want to know that I don't have to be troubled, but I can trust you? And if you keep going, you'll see what their aim is. Verse, verse 9 says, therefore we make it our aim. Remember, we're aiming at something. Whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to the Lord. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Well, how are you well-pleasing? The Bible tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. For you first must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. See, there's a movement toward changing my mind, changing my direction, changing my desires, allowing God to change me. And boy, do I need him to change me because I have way too many notes. And we ran out of time again. So listen, in my father's house, if you're in the family of God and you've been called to be a witness Know this, that in the future, there's a mansion already waiting for you, a new dwelling place for your spirit to live. Isn't that amazing? It's an abode. It's a permanent abode in heaven. Uh, the first usage of it is in Matthew 2.11. Let's look at that really quick and see what it says. Matthew 2.11. Here's the first, first thing you need to know. Matthew 2.11 is when the wise men who are still seeking him, they're following the sign and the stars, uh, 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 the, men, the magi. Um, and when they came into the house first usage they saw the young child with mary their rebellion and his mother and fell down and worshiped him and when they had opened their treasures they presented gifts to him gold frankincense and myrrh see that's the first aim you see the young child have you seen the virgin birth have you believed in his death, burial, and resurrection? These are, the, these are the first things that we need to know. 
We need to be seeking Him. Many mansions is the word polis, poly. Many have many gods, polytheism, many gods. Uh, he says, I got many mansions. I'm not worried about where you're going to stay at. See, because wide is the gate to destruction and many go there, but narrow is the path to heaven and few find it. So he's got enough for every person, every born, and yet only a few people are going to go. Many mansions, great mansions, plenty. And uh, it's um, abiding places, a residence, a place to stay forever. And again, he said, I would have told you if it were not so, because he can't lie. And plus, he's exposing the lies of the devil, the lies of our heart, the lies that are here that keep us in the grave. I would have told you if it were not so. The word mansions is the word mino. Or from the word mino, it's mino. Uh, it's from the word mino, which is where we get the word to abide under. When things happen in your life, abide under it. And the evidence that comes out is fruit of godliness. And we're being washed and cleansed. We're remaining there. It's a word that remains there. You're dwelling in it, going through it, so you can become like him who went through the grave and rose again. He would not have said it. And actually, the first uses of that, I would not have, I would not have told you, is Matthew 2, 5. I got to go there because this is what's so important that we need to see it. Um, it's interesting. The same text, really. It's still in chapter 2, um, 2, 5. It's, it's the Magi, or excuse me, it's the uh, chief priests and the scribes that say to him, they say to Herod, because he told him to search and see, and he says, they, so they said to him, so right there it is, they said to him, in Bethlehem, in the house of bread, he shall be praised, Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Listen. But you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. What's my point? My point is this, is that they didn't make it up. Jesus is not making it up. It's all already written, and God cannot lie. It's already written down what is going to happen. And all you have to do is search the scriptures and see it and grow in your relationship, not in a head knowledge. See, the Pharisees searched the scriptures daily because they thought in them they had eternal life, but the scriptures reveal who eternal life is. It's a relationship with Christ. Not just the knowledge of the scriptures, not just knowing that he exists. The demons know and they tremble because they won't obey. They won't come to him. They won't listen. They won't allow him to wash and cleanse. There's no capability in them of that because salvation was not made for them. But he has, our future hope is that there's 
many dwelling places for our souls, for our spirit, for us when our earthly tent wears out and to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. There's another place already prepared for eternity. See, all of us are going to live for eternity. All of us. What we're married to down here and have an intimacy with is going to be what we reap up there at the judgment seat. If we're believing in Jesus, we trust in Jesus, we're not going to ever get it perfectly right. And what we get to the Bema seat, it's going to burn it up. What wasn't right, and then we'll be just like him. But if we were married to this world and married and ignored Jesus, we're going to go to a white throne and we're going to go into eternal fire forever. But make no mistake, we're going to be married to something for eternity and have to live with that for eternity. And right now, you can be of his household and know by faith that that future is coming and reject this down here. And by faith, not be troubled by this down here. That's what he's trying to gain us into, is to walk by faith. For the just shall live by faith, following the author and the finisher of our faith. And here's the rest of the good news. He went to prepare a place for you. He went to prepare a place for you. But he told us to go prepare a place for others. Listen, he went, the word means to go or come. He went to prepare a place for us and he left us as his witnesses to go and prepare and make straight the way of the Lord for others. The first use is yes, is John the Baptist. When he was sent to make straight the way of the Lord. So he's preparing a place for the Lord the Lord comes, he goes and has his head cut off, and he goes to the place that God prepared for him. And it's the same thing for you and I. Since he's went to prepare a place for us, he's already been through the grave. He sent the Spirit back to lead us to go out and tell others and prepare their heart by giving them truth, and they can come into the family of God and have a new dwelling place for eternity. Prepare means to make ready or provide. In fact, we know by the Galilean wedding, what does he do? They go, he's going, he's in, the, he's in heaven right now, and he's building a house for us to dwell in on the side of the Father's house. Those are dwelling places. That's what they would do in Galilee. And, and if he's going to do that, then what's he going to do? He's going to come back and get us and take us that where he's at, we should be also. Well, how do we know? If we're going to go, if he's going to come back and get us, he gave us a dowry. See, the father came to earth with him and led him to the bride and called the bride and then gave the bride a dowry. Well, what's the dowry, Greg? It's a down payment. It's earnest money. We're told in Ephesians 1.13. Let's just look at it. It's earnest money. The Holy Spirit is earnest money. What's the earnest money for? It's the Holy Spirit to prepare us to be a bride. Because he's going to come back and take the chosen home. Ephesians 1.13, is that correct? I just came out of the... Yes, in him, in Christ, you also trusted. You believed. You pistioed. After you heard, faith comes by hearing, the word of truth, truth, the gospel, the good news that Christ died and rose again of your salvation, deliverance from the sin nature, in whom also having believed... 
constancy, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's the earnest money. Who is the guarantee of the inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory? Listen to me. Jesus, give us a down payment. It's like if you're going to buy a house, you give earnest money. Here's 10 grand. I'm coming back with the rest of the money. I have to go finish this. Jesus goes to heaven. He comes back and whisks us away in the rapture of the church. That's what's going to happen. That's what's going on here in chapter 14. If I go, I'll come again and receive you to myself. He's going to take us in the air. Whisk us away to the Father's house where we'll be further clothed. This, this corruptible body will put on an incorruptible body in the new dwelling place. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58, you can go read. That's why we're supposed to be steadfast, immovable in our faith, in the truth, in what we know, what we've learned, not bewitched by the world, not moving the plumb line. The plumb, plumb line does not move. He's an unchanging God. We're supposed to be steadfast, standing fast. And while we're standing fast, we're always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that our labor is not empty. It's not in vain. It's not without trouble in the Lord. They hate the Lord. They hate the truth. They hate the word of God. They are godless people. But God allows it to test us and try us. As I repeat myself once again, He has gone to prepare a place for us. Do you believe that? You believe in God, believe also in me. He says, in my father's house, there's many dwelling places and he so longs to give us one. If that weren't true, I wouldn't have told you. And now I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go, verse 3, and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Well, why are you coming again? To receive you to myself. We're the bride. He's the groom. He's coming to get us for the wedding supper of the Lamb. That where I am, that's God, ego a me, there you may be also. He wants us to be in his house with him for eternity also. The place that he prepared. He doesn't know the day or the hour. That's what happened in a Galilean wedding. The father's in control of the plan. The father's the one that is actually directing the son and the son is respecting his authority. And that's why he came and died and then he was given all authority and then the father's going to tell him when to come and finish the wedding, consummate the wedding and bring us home. Then what will happen? Then there'll be seven years of tribulation where the wrath of God is poured out on a godless world because they rejected Jesus. At about that time when it starts, there's going to be a new temple built. There's going to be an Antichrist that comes in and saves the day. The Bible already told us, Jesus told the, the Jews that they didn't choose him, but they'll choose another. The Antichrist. And they will believe that he is Christ, their Savior, until three and a half years into the tribulation, he goes into the temple and sets down 
and says, worship me, I'm God. And then for three and a half years, he attacks the Jewish nation and they hide at Petra where they've already got the whole place of Petra supplied. And then at the end of that seven years, we come back, Jude tells us, myriads of saints on white horses following Christ because that's what we've always been doing, so we reap it. We're the bride, we're with him. And there'll be the battle of Armageddon in the valley of Jezreel where the blood will be up to the bridle of horses because he will destroy with the word of his mouth all the enemies of the cross. Then what? Then there'll be a millennial reign for a thousand years where we rule and reign with him. Children will be born. People will still go off and, 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 and deceive and won't follow Jesus. And then the devil is loose for a little period. It's amazing all that stuff. I don't need to know that stuff, but I study that stuff. I can tell you about that stuff. I know God has got that under control. What I need to worry about right now is that I'm not troubled. I need to worry about right now that I am growing and going and I'm doing what God has called me to do because anything else is deception. And the enemy goes about like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. He wants to lie to us just like he did to Eve. And apart from the Holy Spirit, we will believe his lies and we will think we're okay when we're in the grave. And we go, it looks pretty bright. I can see what's going on. You're in the grave Hear his voice and come out, come forth, and then unwrap and get involved in the work of God for the reconciliation of souls. Be the evidence of Christ so that when the graves open up, remember 2 Thessalonians? When the, the Thessalonians were worried about their, their loved ones that had died, and he said, let not, he said again, let not your heart be troubled. He said, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. But the last trumpet will sound with the voice of an archangel and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will meet the Lord in the air and thus will always be with him. And we should encourage one another with these words. But then he goes on to say that day should not come as a thief in the night upon you. Because you're listening for his voice. You're waiting. You're being led by the Spirit. You know the future and the hope that we have, that he's got a dwelling place for us. And this is not the end of it all. We know what we're called to do. The question is, will we choose to obey? Or will we argue with him, fight with him, wrestle with him, ignore him because we think the grave is better than life? If we live in the grave down here, we'll live in fire for eternity. If we live in his household down here, we'll wait for him to come get us. And we'll be waiting, watching and working because it's found and required that a man be found faithful. Paul would later say to the church in Corinth. Verse 4, 14, 4, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. Really? This is the word I do. I like to say I do. It's used twice here. Um, 
and it means you've seen or can see. They're looking at him. He is the way. So they don't know that they know, but they're looking right at him, and he is the way. He's going to tell us in a minute in 6. But guess what? We got our friend the twin, Thomas the twin. He says something that is amazing, and it's okay to have questions. I'm glad that some of these guys speak up. We see Peter speak up, and we find out, no, don't do that. We see Thomas speak up, and he asks a question that helps us to understand. And we get the sixth of the I am statements in verse 6. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. They're looking at him. They're with him. They've been following. They've been learning to, to, to be intimate with him and to obey him as their Lord and teacher, their master. But they don't know that he is eternal life yet but he tells them they know it so he says and thomas says in verse five lord kurios supreme and authority master we do not know where you are going and how can we know the way isn't that a good question how can we know the way how can we know the way only by the spirit of god only by believing God, only by understanding that He is the promised Messiah. Listen, the world is asking, what's the way? Well, I want somebody that's been there. Who has ascended? Who has descended? Remember in chapter 3? Think about this for a minute. Remember chapter 3? Nicodemus comes by night, and he tells him you must be born again. He said, well, how can he be born again? Go enter into your mother's womb again? But in verse 9, 3, 9, Nicodemus answered and said to them, How can these things be? Jesus said to him, You're a teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? You know God, but you don't know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify, because they're in this grand courtroom, what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now listen to what he says here. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man, talking about himself. I scratched out who is in heaven because it wasn't there yet. And, Mo and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world and gave his only begotten Son that whomsoever shall believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life for god did not send his son into the world to condemn judge the world but that the world through him might be saved because we're already born dead we're already in the grave but what's my point he's the only one that's been there he's the only one that can lead us out of the grave and he's a good enough shepherd that he he's not good enough he is the good shepherd that he will, he's willing to, he's speaking to us, he's trying to wake us up and tell us to quit being troubled. God's already prepared a place for us. That's our hope. But we're like, what I, but, but wait, my phone's not working. You're going to heaven. My phone won't work. You're going to heaven. How can that be a big deal? Yes, you might want to fix it to be a good steward of what you have. How can we know the, the, the way? Listen. 
Ask, be led by the Holy Spirit. Get into the word, prayer, and fellowship. Because this is eternal life, that you may know him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom he sent. We're going to get there. It's John 17, 3. Gnosko, it's intimacy. So I'm glad Thomas asked that question. How can we know where you're going? How can we know the way? Of course, the way is a progress. It's a, it's, it's a place of traverse. It's the king's highway, actually. It's a route or an act or distance. Uh, it's it, it's um, a, a, a mode or a means or a course of conduct, a, matter, uh, a manner of uh, uh, life or a pattern. He is the way. You know, they, the early church was known as the people of the way. Well, what's the way? It's truth. How do you know? Because Jesus is truth. It has no lie in it because he can't lie. How do we get out of the way? We listen to a lie. How did Eve get out of the way? How do we get the first inheritance of death? They listened to a lie. They had intimacy with the devil spiritually and listened to a lie. And they bore fruit, and that fruit was death. Oh, my goodness. So I never even got through this. Jesus said to him, verse 6, this is what we need to know because 6 is the number of man. I am, ego of me, the existing one, the way. I am the progress. I am the way. I am the mode of life. I am the truth. Truth incarnate and the life. Eternal life is what it's referring to instead of eternal death. And then he makes this claim, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one. Well, wait a minute. Is that what we're doing? Yeah, we're coming back to the family of God, to the house of God. We're coming back to God. God is a spirit. And then in his wisdom, he, he became the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he's bringing us back into that family to have fellowship with him in love because he loved us first. And the only way to do it is through the kinsman redeemer, the Son. And the only way to do that is to become the bride who believes in by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you're the bride, then you receive the guarantee of the earnest money. And the earnest money is to listen to the Holy Spirit, be led to the Holy Spirit, be washed and cleansed and be pre prepared as a bride waiting for her groom. Now, in the physical, how many brides don't plan? I know there's exceptions, but the rule is, is that you spend more money on that than you do your first car. Way more money. I think the average is about $18,000 on the wedding nowadays where everything is done to present the bride for that 30 seconds of walking down the aisle only to fight and nag and hate each other for the rest of your married life because you won't surrender to Christ and let him be the center of your life. I didn't mean to say that, but I did. Because if he's not the cord that holds you together, then it's not really a marriage. It's two people living together and trying to follow the world. 
because God is the author and creator and designer of marriage for a specific reason, to give it as a, an example and a witness of Christ and the church. And so there's supposed to be physical truth and training, just like there's spiritual truth and training when you become married to Christ. And if one is true in the physical and the other is true in the spiritual, they should both line up with each other if we're children of God by the Spirit of God. And if they don't, there's a problem at the heart of our hearts and we should surrender at the cross not god he's not changing he is the way he is the truth and he is the life he's not changing that's how we know we look for him when the man of god and yes the woman of god looks into the word of god and sees the son of god he's transformed by the spirit of god into the image of god for the glory of god everything that we're doing we're looking for truth so that it exposes the lie we confess the lie and he washes and cleanses us and makes us more of the bride so that we'll go out and be more of the witness so that we can be involved in the ministry of reconciliation of souls and yet I digress because he's coming soon. I pray you're ready. Let's look at 1 John chapter 2. And we'll close because I want you to see this of truth. It, it was interesting. I looked up the word truth and I didn't see it in the book of Jude or the book of Revelation. That was interesting. It stops in the book of John. 1 John is where I'm saying. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2 verse 3. Gnoskos again, intimacy. You want a litmus test today. Are you growing in your intimacy with God? If you're not growing in your intimacy with your spiritual husband, then you're obviously growing in intimacy with your spiritual deceiver, the devil. You can't stand still. You're growing one way or the other. It says this, now by this we gnoskos, that's intimacy, bear fruit, that we gnoskos him. This we know that we know. That's why this book is written for, so that we would know that we know. Not that we would guess, wonder, or worry. He says that in chapter 5. And then continue to believe in the Son of God. By this we know that we know him, Jesus, if qualifier, we keep, guard, protect his commandments, his, his authoritative prescription. Listen, men have died for centuries protecting the word of God. Today in the church, it's being destroyed and people are accepting it, receiving it, following it and staying in churches where the word of God is destroyed and perverted and people are being bewitched and they don't care to protect the word of God. And they think they're okay and they're going to go straight to hell. Verse 4. He who says, I know Jesus. I'm born again. I'm a Christian. And does not keep, guard, protect his authoritative prescriptions is a liar. Same thing he said in John 8. You're of your father the devil. And he's a liar from the beginning. And the truth is not in him. Wait a minute. Jesus is the truth. But whoever keeps, guards, protects his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are of him. Here's the evidence is he who says he abides in his abode, in his house, in him, ought himself also to follow the pattern, walk, have his feet washed just as he walked. Listen, the power of the Holy Spirit is the only way to do that. 
We're not perfect at it. I'm not giving you excuse to fall down. But is your heart turned toward home? Do you understand that he has a dwelling place for you? And that we need to know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that that's the pattern we should be following. And there's life in no other name. In fact, in John 17, after he prays, he's going to say, Sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. That's the only way to have your spiritual feet washed, is with God's word. And no one comes into the family of God or gets a dwelling of God or is going to go in the rapture or, or be in heaven unless it's through the name of Jesus. Because of his perfect sacrifice, his perfect life, his perfect atonement, he went perfectly through the grave and came out on the other side. He's the perfect witness, the perfect example, and he's the one we must follow. And he sent the perfect Holy Spirit back to dwell in us and do home makeover. And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. They will have a place in the house of God. Anything else is deception. The great news is, is it's his righteousness. He's done it for us. But will we surrender and enjoy it? Or will we be troubled because of our flesh and we're chasing everything else? This is great hope that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Your husband, if you know him. But if you know him, he's taken the penalty and the power so that you can freely walk behind him, follow him, have your feet washed and become like him and be prepared for the wedding supper of the lamb without penalty, without punishment. The husband took everything for the bride. And that's why I'm always down on men and saying, listen, you're the husband. You're the man. You're the leader. You're the one that dies first. You're the one that's supposed to be in the Word and washing and cleansing your bride with the water through the Word. And you might say, well, I can't do that. You can say, let's go to church. You can say, let's get in a Bible study. You can say, let's sit down and read. You can say, I'm going to die and stop doing everything I want to do so that my bride will be washed and cleansed and be faithful in that aspect if you choose to. It's your choice. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Lord, that we're all committed to one place of unrighteousness, but you've given us your righteousness, and you want to lead us out. You are the way. You're the progress. You're the journey. You're the way on the king's highway to get to heaven. You're the truth. That's the belt we want to put on, is put on your truth to gird our waist with it. Everything is attached to that fact that you cannot lie. So we trust you, Lord. We believe. And you're the life. As we follow you and learn your truth and cast out the lie, we know that we already have life and that more abundantly. And we have an inheritance in the heavenlies with you. A dwelling place not made with hands. Eternal in the heavenlies forever. Thank you for such a gracious gift, Lord. We do not deserve. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. 
If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Who shall I?